Happy New Year to you all. Happy New Year. Um, here we are back in a new, a new decade, 2020. It's amazing, isn't it? A new decade. And uh, so it makes us think about, about starting new things or about re- reviewing where we've been and where we're going. And um, uh, in our house in the last um, sort of week or so, we've been, we've been trying to organise things a bit and so it feels like we've put half of our house onto eBay um, trying to sort of like declutter and get rid of stuff and uh, it's amazing what, what you can get rid of isn't it on eBay literally like literally anything I don't think we've had nothing ever sold on there and um, yesterday m- much to my youngest son Zeb's delight because he, he doesn't want his scalectrics anymore so we put that on there and, it, it, and someone had bid within about literally 30 minutes and I started the bidding at 60 quid, and it was like, boom, straight in there. Yeah, so he's like, ooh, I'm going to get loads of money. So, um, so we're, we're trying to organise our, our house and declutter and sort of get things simple for, for where we're going. And I, and I want to talk about that and uh, get, get your involvement, hence the whiteboard. And I've even got some little bits of uh, handout that I'm going to give. I don't know, do people have... Um, like a pen in a handbag and things like that these days you you took four out have you got one left oh, as long as you've got one left so um as long as you've got like say a, at least a pen on the table is fine um and you can oh you got them as well yeah it's not essential but that's just a bit of advance warning so um lo- last week in um in uh, Medway, we, we talked about this theme, but so I'm going to sort of cover it in, in really more in, in miniature and with a little bit more um, interaction. And uh, uh, just to give a little bit of a clue, um, I thought it might be fun if we, if we play a little game. Yeah, yeah a, little, a little game. Um, just to help us um, think about this theme this morning. So you can guess what it is. So um, it's not a very... I don't know if it's a very Christian game, but do you know the game Hangman? Yes. Um, it's not going to be Hangman, it's going to be a different picture, but um, this, is, this is what we're going to be talking about today. I'll write up, this is how many it is, here we go. Um, there we are. And if you've seen my notes, or um, had some prior conversation with me, or you've like been on our website for our church in Medway, and you know the answer. Um, shh. Um, right then. So here we are. This is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, n- uh, nine letters, unless I've made a mistake. So um, you call out a letter. If it's wrong, then I'm going to draw something. Won't be a man being hung today, because we want to be more positive. So let's... let's e. e. Yeah, we will write down E. Uh, A, A, no, I'm drawing that, there we are, I, no, we're going up here, T, T, no, there we are, R, R, no. Woohoo! Uh, oh, we're going through all the vowels here. Um, yeah. Consonant, 
Uh, what we was P. P. That's a lovely letter, that one. But no, no, it's not right. No. Uh, S. S. Yes. What about the boys at the back here? Give us a letter, not one of them. Why? Because he's asked you to. No. Why is why is not on there? Uh, uh, a U over here. There we are. U is on there. Very good. H. What are you going for? Household. There we are. Yeah. There we are. And uh, if you hadn't guessed already, this was an amazing picture of a house. And uh, there's some little people there as well. There we are. There's the kids there without any uh, legs, just to, be, to be, just to be quick there. And there's a dog there, yeah. As well, there we are. Yeah, right. Very good. So, um, want to talk about household today? I want to talk to remind us really, and not just remind us, but actually motivate us about about that the household of God, um, because God is the only one who whose house is going to come into perfect order. So, even though we declutter our own house and we look ahead maybe at the start of a new year and decade, and we think about organising our, our lives, and we, we're, but we're always aware of all the stuff that's out of sync, are we not? So it's like no matter how much we organise and sort of try, there's a sense in which it feels like there's always stuff unfinished. Do you, do you live with that? And it's like you might have a few days or weeks where you feel like you're really, you're really just on it in life. But then something comes along, doesn't it? Or something in the house breaks. And there's just this feeling of, like, oh, you know, why is it always like that? And, but, but God's household, God's household in eternally, if you like, long term, is going to be brought into perfect order, even though now the household of God is a work in progress. We know where it's going, but God is, is bringing his house into, into order and, and I think God, and this is the thing I'll touch on a bit more later, God, God, God wants to and does actually declutter his own house. And so we can look around at the household of God, the family of God, the church of God, and we're aware of all the, the little bits that you think, could, you know, it could be better. But God's aware of that. But he loves his household, he loves his people, but yet he's working on it in the same way. And so I want to motivate us today about the importance of God's household and, and really underline why it's essential that we give ourselves to what God has given himself to. And God has given himself to his house, to his family, to, to ordering it, to bring it, bringing it into the fullness of maturity that he's destined it to be in his son Jesus Christ. So um, we're going to read a few verses here. Has anyone got Bible and then I can ask some other people to to read it. Has anyone got Bible with them or on their phones? All right, if I, 
If I give you, if I give um, maybe three people some verses, and then three of you can read it out when I give you the thumbs up, is that all right? So who's most keen and can read loudly and confidently? Can you? Yeah? Yes, we will have. Um, Holly, go for it. Right, so f- first of all, um, I think if you take, I'll give you, um, although you'll be second on, I'm going to give you this one. It's Ephesians 2, verse 6. That's just, that's just a little paragraph, that one. Um, who else is very keen? Yeah, Yosan, I'll give you Ephesians 3, 7 to 11. And then one more, maybe from sort of at the back here. Yeah, sorry, remind me your name? Jerry, right, Jerry, can you read Ephesians 2, verse 19, down to 22? Is that all right? Okay, so we, we start with Yosan, then we'll jump down to uh, Holly, and then we'll go to Jerry at the back, all right? Okay, go for it, nice and loud, thanks, Yosan. Thank you. So, there's a lot, a lot of long, complicated words and sort of, yeah, manifold. That's, you know, gasket, isn't it, in the car? Um, there's a lot of stuff in there. It's difficult to get, get hold of it all. But the question that I would ask just at this point is because it talks about a, a man, man of, the manifold wisdom of God. It talked about a mystery. You might have heard the word mystery. And it talked about the eternal purpose so just pause there for a sec before we get uh, Holly to read the next one. Um, what, what actually is the mystery of God, the, the manifold wisdom of God? Um, what, what is this eternal purpose? You may respond. <laughs> <coughs> what is it? Because this is like it's probably Paul who wrote it. Um, but what's he going on about? It's like, it's what? The resurrection, yeah. So resurrection of... Jesus, so we know it must have something to do with that because everything somehow finds its way back to Jesus. So yes, that's true, but what, what, what else is it to do with? Keep unpacking it from what you know from surrounding verses or other bits of the Bible. What, what, is, what is it? Bringing us all to him. Yeah, okay. So, so we're saying that be- before it was a mystery, because that's what I mean, he's using words like mystery and wis- wisdom of God that was hidden away. So, yeah, Jesus being raised, people are coming to him. What, what else? Uh, the church, yeah, we're getting closer here. Yeah, what, what do you mean by, by that? The church is a mystery, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They don't understand we don't understand the church, do we? Yeah. 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 To gather us to 
Yeah. Yeah, very good, yeah. So, so something about the, ch- the church is a mystery, um, or at least it was. So there's something that's been hidden there. All right, that, that's great. Hold those thoughts. Right, you ready, Holly? This is, this is your moment. Yeah, just verse 6. Go on, shout it out. Ephesians 2, we on, yeah? Uh, yeah. 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 Is that, that's not what I've got. Have I got it wrong? Oh, is it? Oh, I must have put the wrong one down. You read, you read that really well. Oh, yeah, it's 3 verse 6. Beg your pardon. Yeah. My fault. But that's a good verse anyway. That works. But this, go and read it out again. That's it. Brilliant. Okay. Did you all get that or see it in the Bible? So Holly was saying there that it says it says there, it kind of answers it in part for us. It says the mystery is that the Gentiles, who's the Gentiles? Non Jews. Yeah. Um, the Gentiles are fellow heirs. What's an heir? Yeah, someone who in- inherits. Um, they're members of the same body as as the Jewish people, and partakers in the promise of Jesus Christ. We, t- we sang about promises this morning, didn't we? Of Jesus Christ through the Gospel. So we're told there that the mystery is, um, a large part of it is that, that people are brought together. Let's put it that way. So people for whom previously there was a dividing wall between us, um, it's been knocked down and we're brought together as one family. So re- remember that bit. And then Ephesians 2 verse 19 tells us a bit more. So um, let's have that way. Go, go for it, Jerry. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together Brilliant. Okay, so did you notice our, um, our word in there? Um, so it talks there, again, remembering the other verses that were read about, about this mystery, this eternal purpose, this cosmic plan that God has got, um, this manifold wisdom, it's to do with walls coming down and being brought together with people who normally don't go together. And it's about the household... It talks about household, it talks about a whole building coming up together, it talks about being built together to become a dwelling of God where he lives by his spirit and that it's going to be eternal. So the, the first verses that Yosan read talk about it being made as like a, a sign and a proclamation to all of heaven, all of the spiritual rulers and principalities, all the demonic powers, it's showing them, it's, it's, it's showing heaven that God has got an eternal purpose that has been kept hidden. And this is what it is, that we're all brought together by one spirit and we're going to live together for eternity. That's the point. It's not temporary, it's for eternity and that's what we're moving towards. But it, but it starts 
now. And so the reason why that the household of God is something that should motivate us is because it's, it's like the ultimate thing God is moving towards. We know, we know the ultimate thing is about honour and glory to God and, and to Christ, but, but the way in which that happens ultimately is by God building an eternal dwelling place. So when we think about the family of God now, the household of God now, the, the church, the people gathering together, um, that, that has got to be our, our priority and our, our prime desire in life because that's what God's heart is. There's lots of other things that are important in our lives and in God's mind, but it's all going towards that. So the household of God is something we should really give ourselves to to, 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 to to help it come into order and to become all that it should be. It's not something that should be, you know, oh, it's what, where we go to as Christians or it's something that's really important while we are waiting for heaven to arrive and then heaven's great, great, it's all do- job done. No, no, what, what we're in now, this is really heaven, but it's going to be better, of course. You know, no church is, is the fully orbed heavenly picture, but this is what we've got to give ourselves to. So I want to motivate you in this next decade, really, of Hope Church, where you're going to go to really give yourself to one another, to the household of God, because God has given himself to that. So what I want to draw your attention to now is, is this cosmic plan of, of God, and, and it, it's so huge that the way in which God has laid out the universe and lots of different things in the Old Testament, he's done it all around this imagery of a house or a household. So here's some uh, verses here. We won't read them, I'll just mention them to you. Job 38 uh, says, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Like, um, as if it's under some kind of house. Isaiah 40, 22, I've stretched out the sky like a tent curtain, like some kind of dwelling where people are going to be in. Um, Job 9, 6 talks about pillars that support the earth. So like the, the walls of the earth are being spoken of as pillars. So there's all this imagery we find in the Bible that makes it sound like God's built a house. Now we might think, oh, it's just a nice picture, yeah, because we all know the earth is obviously the earth, and there's water there, and there's land. It's not actually a house, is it? Houses are in that. But I think it's a lot more than that. And lots of um, Bible teachers and scholars and theologians would point to all kinds of things to show us that in the mind of God, he was trying to communicate a lot more than just some nice pictures. He was actually setting the whole thing up as like this cosmic household. So we'll look at a couple of verses now. Um, I will give out to you... Um, actually, no, we'll do this one on the whiteboard. So, so Genesis, Genesis 1. You might be able to do this by memory, but if not, you can scan Genesis 1. So if you think about um, Genesis 1 and creation, and uh, if we've got day 1, day 2, and day 3 on the left-hand side, and we've got day 4, day 5, um, and day 6 on the right here... Um, can you fill in the, the gaps? Um, because I want to draw your attention to something interesting about this. So day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six. 
And I'd like us to think about it, and I've not just made this up, and if you want to look at some other books, I can recommend a few books that you could read. Um, for, for instance, one is called, um, if you like lots of reading, A House for My Name by Peter Leithart. Um, come and ask me afterwards if you want this, but if you want to study this in more depth. So, what was made on day one? Uh, yeah, getting a few uh, responses here. So, what was it? Heavens, earth, light. Okay, so day one um, was, we will put it in as light and darkness. Because uh, that's what it should say if we look. Day two, what was done on day two? Wa- uh, yeah, water in the land needs more definition than that, actually. I think, actually, what you said first was right. The, he- yeah, the heavens. So it talks there about, um, it talks about waters in heaven and earth. But on the next day, day three, it gets down to land and land and sea um, so it's talking here about waters that are, are kind of deep down and waters that are somehow put into the atmosphere maybe um, but it, that's the sort of phrase it uses there so day two uh, we will say uh, water heaven and earth ok so day three what does it say? I mean, it can't because it says this was day three. It sort of makes it pretty clear. What is it? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so Earth. Yeah, Earth and sea, and and with that, the vegetation starts to grow underground. Yeah, very good. Okay. So, what about day four? Yeah, uh, yeah, seasons, yeah. So the, mo- the, the moon and the sun and the stars, so the, yeah, perhaps there's some kind of orbiting that happens there. So he's put, I mean, it's, it mean, clock that. So it, day one, light and darkness, day four, sun and moon. Yeah. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot in that. Um, where, where was this original light coming from? Sun, moon and stars, yet yeah, day five... <coughs> yeah, so um, uh, birds, some of them anyway, birds and fish, and then day six, yeah, animals and humans, animals and humans, there we are. Okay, right then, what I want to draw your attention to is the, the way in which it's written in that, those earlier verses, is it's written in such a way as to underline this, this house, that God is, God, when God first appears, um, he's actually building a house. So when he appears, he's, he's constructing something, but it's like a three-storey house. It's, there's three layers to it. I used to live in a three-storey townhouse. And so what you find is that God is, is, is on day one to three, he's constructing like the, the walls, as it were, or the areas into which he then fills in day four, five, and six. Do you get it? So if, if you study around this, this has been highlighted lots of times. So it's like he's constructed 
something over three levels, which then he's populated in different ways. So God, God's building a house. But this theme, remember this three-story house theme, um, it goes on and on and on. I'll give out some of these bits of uh, paper so you can actually see. I've done about 20, 20, 25, so you should be able to have enough to at least peer at them. Um, there we are. Don't worry, I'm not going to test you on it. There's no sort of uh, quiz questions on here. Right, I've got another one here. Anyone not got one because I've got spares? Has everyone got one? There's a spare one there for Lizzie. (laughs) Right then. So, um, can you see the top picture? Um, What that top picture? What what is that? Anyone recognise that? Yeah, the tabernacle, the temple. So the tabernacle was was what? Any ideas? The tabernacle and the temple were they different? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the, the tabernacle was is often referred to as being the one they moved about in the tent. Um, Israel, Old Testament. But then the temple was the permanent one. Um, and it was obviously static where it was in, in uh, Jerusalem. But, that, but that's the layout of it. So it tells you there in the ta- both the tabernacle and the temple the different areas that were in there. Some of you might have seen this before and the furniture that was in there, like the, the different tables and altars and so on. Um, but, but how many sections is there to that? Remembering our, our household discussion already. Yeah, it, look, it, looks, like, it looks like there's four. Um, it looks like there's four, but... The, the way in which it's described as being three is because the holy place is, is split into two. That's the kind of the way that it's viewed. So the three areas are the, the outside, the gates, and then the second area is the kind of courtyard area. And then the, the, the third area is the, ho- the holy place, the holy area where only the priest could go. So it's, divi- it's divided into three main sections. Um, so when, when God started to construct, if you like, a, a, a symbol, a place that his presence would be, he, he uses a similar sort of system, as it were, in three layers or three stories. But even that is not just random. So if you look at the bottom layer, um, this is, a, this is a, a kind of overlay of the geography of the Garden of Eden. So you know Garden of Eden in Genesis, um, where God put this stuff uh, and put uh, man and woman. So within the geography, if you look at it, I appreciate it, you have to get a map out and you've got to look at scriptures and work out which bits east and west and so on. But the, the layout of it is such that it moves from east uh, from west to east. So, in terms of where the garden was placed, 
um, in the world. There's some debate over that, but over in the Middle East, the way, the way, where the rivers were, where the mountains were, where the river flowed down from and so on. And when God sent out Adam and Eve and said, you're banished and he, he closed off the entrance, he, he sent them out eastward. Um, and so often he's referring to the people that live out eastward. And to make your way back in, you have to travel westward. And so in scripture, there's sometimes pictures of people traveling westward at different points, as if the westward symbolizes coming back to the presence of God. But that's an- another day, another study. But it's interesting, when you look at it, you look at the sort of imagery of it, that even the garden fits into like these three sections. So you've got, you've got the, the garden area, you've got the land of Eden more widely, and then you've got the people beyond that are out to the east. And the garden split into those two areas where you've got the, the garden generally, and then you've got that innermost place of the garden where the trees were that they were not to eat from. And so this kind of imagery, and we could go on all the way through Scripture and show how this, this kind of stuff doesn't, doesn't strike us immediately, does it? When you read it, um, we don't spot it because the way in which we read books and the way in which we've been taught is not the way in which ancients would write books and read books. So we don't spot it. So that's why it's helpful to read books and have some of these things pointed out to us by, by other people. But all, all of this, the reason I'm telling you this, is to really underline how important this household imagery was. And that God has constructed the, the whole universe, the, the, the cosmic um, grandeur that we see, with a specific model in mind. And then into the earth, as he's narrowed it down, he's kind of kept to his theme. And it's moving back towards this eternal theme again, where we're all going to be in the household of God. So it's woven in direct sentences we've read in the New Testament. It's woven into more sort of, if you like, hidden or obscure imagery in the Old Testament. But it's all around houses and constructing something for his glory and for his honour. So what this means for us is that it's a challenge for us. Because if this is so, 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 so important... Um, and it's woven into so many, so many things. What, what does it say about the church? How should the church be? How should the church operate? How should it feel? And, and indeed, how should our own families or households, whether we've got children or not, whether we live by ourselves or with others, but, but our own homes, as it were, the places where we find our identity, what should they be like? Because if they're vastly different from what God is wanting his household to be, then it's going to be tricky to make the jump. Um, One has to find its meaning within the other. They're they're not separate at all. And so when we think of our homes, and when we think of the family of God, there needs to be a synergy between the two. Just to give you a little bit of of history, particularly in Western nations, um, this isn't true in every nation today, particularly the non-Western nations, but in, in, in ancient history, the way that households worked is not like they work for us today. Not at all. So in, in the kind of Western context, it's very different than it was throughout history. So in history, 
um, particularly the time when some of these verses we've read from Ephesians would have been written, the household would have been the place where things like this would have been true. It would be your primary place of identity. It would be a place where you, you kind of generate your, your name from. It's the place where there's a clear system of, of leadership that goes on there, an organisation. It was where a place where society was actually held together by the households, um, and the households would be often bigger. It wouldn't just be immediate family, it would be extended family. It would be various people that worked for you or with you. It would be various servants and so on. So some of them could be, be hundreds, could be considered a household. It was a place of shelter, physically, emotionally, mentally, and literally a place of protection in terms of shelter because you couldn't pick up the phone and call the police back in the day. You had to rely on your family, your household. They were the ones that would go out to war. They were the ones that would fight for you. And so you would give yourself as strongly, it was like a, you know, almost like blood covenant, that these are my people and I'll die for them. That's the sort of sense you would have had. Not only that, but it was the place of work and industry. People wouldn't be going off out to some you know, central place in London to work by themselves and coming back again. Everything was done within the household. You'd have your own, like, your family business that would be handed on. So that's, that, that, you don't want to go away as a child. You want to grow up within and take on the family inheritance. So that's why in the Bible all the talk about sonship or family inheritance is so important because it makes sense back in the day. But to us, we're like, oh, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm my own man or woman. I can make my own way in the world and make my own money. That kind of thinking would be a bit odd. Back in the day, it wasn't really possible to do that. If you were outside of the family, the household, basically, you're probably going to be a criminal. You may be destitute, or you may end up having to become a servant or slaves to others because you wouldn't be able to find a connection point like you would today. It is a place of multi-generational provision as well because... The next generation are coming up, they take it on, they look after the elderly people and the parents and grandparents, and it's like this kind of cycle that continues. Whereas today, it's very, very different because everything shifted from being within the home to outside the home, hasn't it? And we outsource everything. And so the home today, uh, you know, and it's true true for our home, the home is a bit more like a place of retreat, isn't it? It's a place of rest, a place you go to escape being out there. It's a place where we fill it up with lots of luxury goods, if we can afford it, uh, to help this kind of place of retreat and rest. It's a place where we're not sheltered by our families and protected in quite the same way. It's the, it's the police, it's the government, it's social services, it's pensions, it's care homes, and on and on we go. And I'm not saying all these things are bad, I'm just saying this is the way society is. But what it means is that when we use the word household, about our own household, and about the church, our brain thinks about our household. That's not a helpful image. We have to think about households in other non-Western nations and households that that have... long gone in, in our Western nations. We're thinking about, like, tribes that will die for one another and that if you're outside of them, you're probably going to die or be destitute. 
or turn to, 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 to criminal activity. So that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the, the, the eternal cosmic household of God. We're giving ourselves to one another because we know where it's going. But the sort of attitude we've got to have has got to be more like that than, than what it is today. Um, otherwise, we will translate that kind of retreat, individualistic, consumeristic type attitude of household into church, don't we? And we do it all the time. It's easy to do it. We can't help it. Um, it really is a challenge. But what that will mean is that we, we, it feels like our centre point is our own home and we go outside of our house to this thing called church and then we retreat back to our homes where our real life is and our real family is. So we go out to our workplace and then we come back to our homes again. It means that the church is a place where we, it's like we're outsourcing. So it's, our real home is where we do a lot of stuff, but I outsource some spirituality or serving or doing my bit to this thing beyond the home, and then I go back to my home again. Now, to get beyond this way of thinking is, is going to take a, a miracle. Um, this is a challenge for us in the West. It's not something you can just go home and change. It's going to take the, the power of the Holy Spirit. It's going to take revival. It's going to take you know, spiritual change across the board to shift that because it's part of our society's rhythm and pattern and, if you like, in some ways, sickness. That's just the way the world is. But our call is not to walk in step with the world and just say, oh, well, it's the way it is. We make the best, of, that's just what church is. We come out on a Sunday, we might go to say midweek, we do our bit, but my real life is at home and in my work that I'm out, I outsource and go to. No, we, we've, we've got a responsibility to think about what this means over the next 10 years for Hope Church, what things we can change or push back against to make sure we don't just go the way that society is going. So this means, and I'll just make these final little challenges and we'll, we'll close there. What this might mean is, first of all, we need to have a bit of a mind shift. So it means having a mind shift to household but bearing in mind all of this stuff we've looked at of how God set the world up, but then bearing in mind the way society is, hmm, doesn't seem to line up. And it means having a mind shift to actually be convinced. Are we convinced that this is really, really important, that I need to give myself to this? Secondly, it means making adjustments. So in line with that, it means making adjustments personally and indeed, first of all, in your own home. So if your own home won't move beyond the place of just being sort of personal rest and retreat and move to something where you're beginning to move in and amongst one another's home, to open up your home, to be hospitable, to try to, if you've got children within the home, so you're doing things with the children, they're involved with you in being hospitable, um, in working maybe, if there's a way in which you know, some of you have got work environments where you can kind of train your kids up, um, places where you are, you're breaking down, as it were, the, the walls and thinking, hang on a minute, our home isn't just a place of rest, retreat and sort of luxury items. It's supposed to be something that's serving the bigger purpose of God's household. And then finally, it means moving towards other people with an absolute zeal and passion and commitment that, that, that you will not let go of. 
Why? Because you refuse to just live on your own in your own families and just popping out to something at church. So what this boils down to is thinking about your pattern of life together and, and what does that mean? And, you know, and I know you've got different midweek gatherings and there's prayer meetings, things like that, and that must happen, absolutely. That's the kind of minimum, definitely. But thinking beyond that, that, that unless every person picks up that, that vision to, I've got to plan this, because it won't just happen. Why? Because society will squeeze us into the busyness, the in and the out, back from work. It's just hard to fit everything in. So unless you sit down with a mind shift and think, right, what are we going to do over the next few weeks or months to kind of push back against this system and connect up with my brothers and sisters and forge something of that, like, that, that deep tribal household and commitment it's not, it's not going to work. It's, we're going to be operating subpar. And this is a ch- challenge for us. You know, I was raising it, raising it last week with us as well. So um, uh, last week I, I made a comment where I, I, said, to, um, I said to our church, if, if you are here and you don't believe this, and I know, you know, um, you would have the same vision. I know certainly Gordon in his absence and Natalie here would say, yeah, that's what we think. If you're here and you don't have a vision for the household of God, beyond just coming along on a Sunday, then you are joining up with something. This is what I said to our church. You're part of something where a lot of the people leading don't actually think what you think. So why not go to another church where you won't get this said to you in quite this way? Because there's many other churches, I said in Medway, there's over 100. You can, you can go and you'd fit in comfortably and it, you, you wouldn't get this in your face in quite the same way. What, not there's anything wrong with any other churches. We bless them, we work with them, we pray with them. But we're trying to go here and do this, whereas you want to build something else. You want to be part of, no, this is my life and my family and I do this and I just come along on a Sunday, I do my bit in the week and go home. That's not what we're building. So it's counterproductive to have you there unless you can move. What's the point? And so <laughs> it was the kind of comment, some are like, yeah, love that, others will be, oh, I'm really, really offended at that. Um, but the point is, we've got, to, we've got to move on this. We've got, we've got to take action on this. And so building the household is much more than just coming along to a meeting and it starts with this, this mind shift and then trying to work it through from there. And it's tough. That's why we need one another. That's why we've got to pray and say, God, we need your power to enable us to help this happen. So my prayer is that in 2020 and beyond, you will, you will rise to that. And I know, I know for many of you I've spoken to you, I know that's sort of where you're at. And you've said, yeah, that, this is us. Um, but you've got to, got to work to it. Uh, you've got to, got to see how does this work? How do I live in community with others um, to really forge Hope Church? together how am I going to make this happen so I'll close there and maybe we, we can pray our hand back to Jonathan but if, if I pray is that all right and um, and if you know that you you want to give yourself to this in the next season then maybe as I pray you can you can just kind of say yes to God and that will be your way of saying yeah I'm up for that okay yeah father I thank you that you have um, called us to 
be part of an amazing household and um, that it is eternal. It's, it's not an accident that you used all these images, not just a nice picture because it helps us to think as humans, uh, but you, you're building your house. You're building one that will last for eternity and you've brought us all together and you've said, start now, make it happen now, so that it's like a proclamation out to the world. And so, Lord, we give ourselves to you at the beginning of this new decade, and uh, we, we want to say yes. Yes, Lord, I choose to, to make a mind shift. Yes, I choose to reflect on my own household patterns. Yes, I choose, Lord, to step beyond just attending, Lord, and to give myself to, to the people of God. And so if you know you need to do that, just say yes to God. Yes, I choose that. Yes, I choose that today. So bless this church, Lord. Thank you for all you've done over this last year. We rejoice and celebrate that. And we want to see you glorified here in Sittingbourne. Amen. Amen.